Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. The book of Jeremiah in chapter number one, and I appreciate those recaps and introductions for our services from uh, Michael, Raphael, and Derek. They do such a great job in, in giving us a good setup, but we are this evening in Jeremiah chapter one. And last week, we, or, or last night rather, we hung out uh, speaking about the prayer of the old saint and, and what it is that the, that the psalmist David longed for in his own heart and that he longed for that God would give him into the future. And we come this evening to a young man by the name of Jeremiah. If last night was the prayer of the old saint, today is the prayer of a young saint of a young man who is feeling the call of God in his life, and then with hesitancy, he is, he is choosing to not walk into that call, but walk away from it. Jeremiah, in chapter number 1, if you have uh, your Bible, and hopefully you do, you'll, you'll turn with us there. If you go to the Old Testament, that's where you'll find it. And uh, if you find the book of Matthew, that's the beginning of the New Testament, you find the book of Psalms, then somewhere in the middle there you'll find Jeremiah. And then you go to chapter number 1, which is the big number, number 1, and we'll be in verse number 6. In fact, if you found your place, stand with me, stretch your legs one last time for the reading of God's Word, Jeremiah chapter number 1. And we're going to be there in verse number 6. This is Jeremiah speaking, and here's what he says. And then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, Thou shalt speak, and be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. So here, here is Jeremiah. Look here. Here is Jeremiah, and he hears and feels and senses the call of God in his life to do this particular thing, and he is overwhelmed with this sense of incompetency. He, he feels as if he is not equipped, if, as if he's unable to do what God called him and specifically told him to do. So what are we talking about tonight? Three hindrances that we often feel when we are young. Three hindrances we often feel when we are inexperienced. Three things that keep us from doing what we know God wants us to do, what we hear God, discern God calling us to do, man, and how we can overcome those in our lives. And then one, one kicker at the end for parents and how we prepare those who God has entrusted to our care to have the courage and the boldness to do exactly what God is calling them to do. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, I pray that you would use your word in our hearts and lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said together, amen. Jeremiah's sense of incompetency is found in verse number six. I cannot speak. He, he says this because he feels as if he does not have the ability, if he does not have the, the uh, uh, capability or capacity to do what God is calling him to do. He feels this 
incapability is because he is young. He says in particular, verse number six, behold, I cannot speak. Why? For I am a child. So the reason that I cannot do what you are calling me to do is because of this situation that I have in my life, because of this circumstance that I am facing in my life. Now, what I realized this evening is that God is not calling most people in this room to do any kind of authoritative uh, prophetic ministry like what he called Jeremiah to do. But what we do have to realize is that God does call you and me. Is my microphone going out? Thank you very much. You, you all were just going to sit there and let me go the whole night, weren't you? You're like, this is night three, Pastor. We got it, right? Okay, so here we go. Jeremiah does not, it, it, Jeremiah is given a call to authoritative prophetic ministry. And while you and I do not have that same call, there is a principle that you and I do have a call from God on our lives to follow him, to, to, uh, to go where he leads us to do and say what he tells us to do and say to live in a way in which he tells us to live in which most of the time is countercultural. There may be somebody in the room that says, well, pastor, I, I just don't have the experience that I need in order to serve in that ministry. Or perhaps you would say, well, I don't have the maturity that I need in order to do this job or this work. Or I don't know all that I need to know in order to talk to my friends about the Lord Jesus Christ. Or I don't have all the answers, so I'm afraid to begin a conversation about faith and about godliness and about holiness with this friend because I don't, I don't have all of the answers. So sometimes there are in our lives these sort of perceptions that we are not mature enough, not old enough, incapable, not competent enough in order to do the things that God is calling us to do. But God sees things that you and I do not see. And God has created things in you and in me that you and I do not know he has put in us, but that he has put in us so that we can do all that God is calling us to do. That we, as the Apostle Paul would say, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. This doesn't, this doesn't mean that we don't have doubts. And this doesn't mean that there aren't times where we are hesitant. And this doesn't mean that there aren't certainly insecurities that you and I face at times. But what it does mean is it does mean that those insecurities or those doubts do not and should not keep us from doing what we know God has called us to do. So we see this in this chapter, several ideas about the purposes of Jeremiah. So God gives Jeremiah several reasons for why his objection is no good. All right, so here's Jeremiah's objection. God, I cannot do what you asked me to do because of this reason. And now God's going to answer Jeremiah's objection. Look at it with me in verse number, look at it with me in verse number five. Verse number five. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. 
And before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee unto, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. You hear what he just said in verse number 5 and verse number 7? He said this, that you are not your own. You do not belong to yourself. You are not self-made. I am not self-made. There are no self-made people in this world. You and I are God-made. We are gods. We belong to him. He created us. You did not choose God first. God chose you first. You did not love God first. God loved you first. You are not, you're not here by accident. You are here by design. You didn't, you didn't stumble into this life. God purposefully created you, so do not use your excuse, whatever it may be, inconsistent, lack of maturity, unknowing, not, not a people person, I'm not good at the speaking in front of people thing, that's not where I am excelling at. Don't use your excuse to keep you from venturing in to doing something great for God. Well, why? Well, God's reason to Jeremiah is because before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. So the reason you can't use this inconsistency or fear or whatever it is, the reason you can't use that as your excuse is because God knows you. So you hear me. God knows you specifically. Hear me on this. God knows you individually. Hey, look here. God knows you particularly. When you get to the New Testament, the Bible says that God has numbered every hair on your head. Do you know how many hairs you have on your head? I mean, unless you have zero, you don't know, right? I mean, it's the only option. And even there, you got eyebrows and you got, you got facial hair, right? Even there, you still have hairs that you don't know. You don't have them numbered, right? So here, here, here's, here's what this is. This is this is Jesus painting this word image, and what he's saying is God knows you better than you know you. So God knows more about you than you know about yourself. So what Jeremiah says is, I have this self-revelation. I'm, I'm young. It's the same excuse Moses gave. I have this self-reservation. Me no talk good. I can't do this job. I have this self-reservation. And then God shows up and God says, no, 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 but Jeremiah, I know you better than you know yourself. And I know that your excuse for not venturing into what I created you to do is no good because I know who you are. God knows you individually. God knows you specifically. God knows you particularly. Not just that, but God, the second thing he tells Jeremiah is that he says, I consecrated you. This is, this is what I created you for. The, the, the phrase is, I sanctified thee. This is what I created you for. This is the purpose that I have given to you. This is what I destined you to be. And this destiny that I have for you is because I know you and I know you better than you know yourself. 
By the way, that is true for you and that is true for me. Every living Christian, God has given grace and gifts to. And God has given you those great that grace and God has given you those gifts and God has given them to you for his glory and for the good of the church. So, so look here, look here, look here. God has given every Christian grace and God has given every Christian certain gifts and God has given them to you particularly individually, specifically for his glory and for his good so that when God calls us into doing something for him and we use our inconsistencies or our fear or our inability to keep us from going after God, we are actually going against the design that God has given to us in this life. So, so look here, look here, look here, look here, look here, look here. I don't know what your family dynamic was like growing up, but here's what I want you to know. You were not an accident. And I don't know what society crammed down your throat when you were little, but you have a purpose in this life. And where you find that purpose and where you find that meaning is you do not find it in yourself, in self-revelation. The world says, you want to find meaning, you want to find purpose, you got you to try all this stuff in the world and you maybe will get it. No, the way you find meaning, the way you find purpose is by going strong after the Lord God who made you, who formed you, and who knows you. That's what he tells Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I know you. I, I consecrated you. He says this. He says, I formed you. So, so think of this. Jeremiah's genetic makeup, okay, Jeremiah's DNA, Jeremiah's body type that he received from his mother and from his father, here's what God just said. That is no accident. You did not get that by accident. It wasn't just happenstance. Before I knew you, before you were even formed in your mother's belly, before your mom was thinking about you, I knew you and had set you apart for myself. God specifically said he shaped, designed Jeremiah the exact way he wanted Jeremiah to be. Look here, the, the you that God has to work with today is the you that God designed. I used to, when I was a little kid, I, I really enjoyed the Lakers. That was my favorite team. My brother cheered for the Bulls and Magic and, and Scotty and, and uh, Dennis Rodman. I cheered for the Lakers. And my favorite player growing up was Magic Johnson. And I always wanted to be just like magic. I wanted to be 6'10 and have that point guard, the large point guard body type facilitating down the floor. And I used to lay in my bed at night and go, Lord, please, would you let me be 6'10? I missed it by a foot. I just stretch me out, right? 
The body type God gave me, he gave to me for a reason, for his purpose. It was no accident. And the body, the DNA, the genetic makeup, the body God gave you, he gave to you for a reason, on purpose. The you that you are is exactly the you that God wanted you to be, which means this. This sets you free. Look, look at me, young adults. This sets you free from all all kinds of comparisons about I don't have this type. I'm not this individual. I'm not as pretty as her. I'm not as popular as them. I'm not as bulging biceps as that. No, you are perfect in the way that God designed you to be for his own good reasons. See how freeing that is? There's nothing the world has to offer can be that freeing. He just sets you free from that. God says, I know you. I consecrated you. I, I formed you. So if, look, if God is calling you to something, he knows the you that he has to work with that he is calling you to. So that means you're right for the job. That, that means this. That means you are the perfect fit for the job. God knows you. God consecrated you. God formed you. Look at this. God appointed you. This is quite literally the reason why Jeremiah was born. That's what God says. Look at verse number five again. I ordained thee a prophet to the nations. The, the reason for your birth was this. Israel just said, this is the destiny that I have written into my word for you, Jeremiah to do. And by the way, you have one as well. No Christian exists merely to make an honest living and, and raise a family and enjoy retirement and then die. No, every Christian has been given grace and gifts by God and then called to use that grace and those gifts for his own purposes and good. Listen to Matthew Henry on this. He says, the great creator knows what use to make out of every man before he makes him. The great creator knows what use to make out of every man before he makes them. So again, verse 6 and 7, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. So, so look here. Here's what God did not say to Jeremiah. God did not say, Jeremiah, it's okay. You're not a child. So, so Jeremiah, look, look. Jeremiah's protest about his, his inabilities, about his inconsistencies, about, about that lack of competency, Jeremiah's protest was true, but it was irrelevant. Why? Because God had given Jeremiah a task, a job to do. 
This is true for you and me too. God has given us a task, a job to do. And while it's true, we may have certain insecurities and certain fears, and we might have certain doubts about ourselves, and we may wonder, well, can I do what I know God is asking me to do? I'm not for sure that I can parent the way I should. I'm not for sure I can husband the way I should. I'm not for sure that I can friend the way that I should. I'm not for sure that I can witness the way I know God wants me to. I don't know if I can stand and say no or stand and say yes. I'm just, I don't know if I have it. That doubt is completely validated. You're right, Jeremiah, you are a child. It's just irrelevant because I am here to help you. Right? Well, look, look, look at the verse. Watch what she says. Verse number, verse, number, uh, verse number eight. Be not afraid of their faces. Why? For I am with thee to, what's it? What's it say? Deliver thee. So, so the emphasis is, you're right, Jeremiah, you are a child, and you're right, you are fearful, and you're right, you do have these shortcomings, you're right, this is, but guess what, I know you, I made you, I created you, I designed you, I made you the exact way that I wanted to make you for the exact reason that I wanted to put you into this world, and Jeremiah, the, the, the emphasis here is not on Jeremiah's inability, the emphasis is on God's ability. So the emphasis is not, wow, Jeremiah has all these things in his life he's got to work out. The emphasis is, look how strong and big and great and mighty and gracious and good our God is. That God sends who he wants, where he wants, when he wants, for his own good purposes. God is saying to Jeremiah, your youth does not matter because I am going with you. Your inexperience does not matter because I am going with you. Your fear does not matter because I am going with you. It's the same point being made in verse number 9. Verse number 9, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Look at it again in verse number 10. See, I have set thee this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. In other words, Jeremiah, when you go where I tell you to go, when you do what I tell you to do, when you fulfill the purpose that I have made you and you use the gifts that I have given to you, when you do that, Jeremiah, when you do that, you are accomplishing my calling in your life. Judgments break down, promises build up, not because of young Jeremiah, and that's the point. Judgments break down and promises build up. Why? Because the word of God is powerful. We could do the same thing with the shepherd boy named David. You remember him? We could do the same thing with a young man by the name of Timothy. Do you remember him? We could do the same thing with all kinds of, of wonderful leaders and church fathers, people like Hudson Taylor, who at a young age, at the age of 17, dared to seek God. He totally surrendered himself to God's will. And when he did, he almost immediately felt a very distinct impression that God wanted him to be a missionary to China. 
And so at the age of 17, he began to prepare his life for the mission field. In fact, wonderful things, a great book you should read, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secrets. It's a small little book. You'll be, you'll be well to do if you read that book. It's a wonderful book. But he begins living in London at the age of 17 like as if he were already a missionary in China. He begins taking no money. He's not working any jobs. He's just going out, witnessing, planting, building churches. He isn't taking any money from anybody. He's praying in resources. He says, if I can't believe God to meet my needs in London, why should I believe God to meet my needs in China? So he begins doing this at the age of 17. And then that fast tracks Hudson Taylor's life that by the time he's 22, he gets off of a boat in Shanghai and he begins preaching the gospel and he begins doing a great missionary work for God. By the age of 22, Oh, that God would raise men and women, young men and young women who have that kind of understanding of God's call on their life and God's hand on their life and going strong after the Lord with all that they have and with all that they are. You say, Pastor, well, why can we do that? How can we do that here in this strength? Because God goes with us. Because God goes with us. What does all this mean for you? What does all this mean for me? It means to the degree that you are led by God into a path of service for him today. To the degree that your words conform to the words of what the Bible really teaches. To the degree that you can say with Jeremiah, I am not here of my own authority. I'm not here by my own power. I don't speak of my own position. I'm simply sent by God. I'm simply doing everything that God has asked me to do. To that degree, God will be with you. I want, I want all the young adults in the room, all the teenagers, young adults, anybody, let's say, 18 and under, would you stand up? Stand up for a second. Stand up for a second. Stand up for a second. Look right here, Pastor. Stand up for a second. Look right here at me. You see, all, all, of, those pur all of those purposes, all of that, look here, look here, look here, look here. All of that, that was for you. You, you aren't the first one to feel incapable. You, you, you aren't the first one to lack courage. You aren't the first one to doubt if. You aren't the first one to wonder, how does this play out? You aren't the first one to wonder, do I actually have a purpose? Do I actually have a reason? Why am I here? Why has God given me these friends? Why don't I have those abilities? Why don't I look like that? Why am I not as smart as they are? You aren't the first one to feel that. And here Jeremiah feels those same things in his life. And yet Jeremiah chooses not to focus on who he isn't. He chooses to focus on who God is. It's really not about who you and I are. It's really about who is God. It isn't really about what you and I do or don't have. It's really about what does God have and are we going after him in a way that is pleasing and honoring to him so that he will pour his blessings out on our lives. I believe with all my heart that this group of, of teenagers standing right now, I believe with all my heart that you are going strong after God in good ways. But this is my, this is my loving encouragement to you. Go even stronger after God. 
God made you. God knows you. God's destined you. God's called you. Look here. To do great and wonderful and adventurous and courageous things for him. As you go strong after him. There is nothing better than going strong after the Lord God. Nothing in this life has anything on going after the Lord God Almighty. Thank you for saying, maybe seated. Those are his purposes, and that's yours and mine. People may disagree, someone may be offended. You may make a mistake, you may get criticized. You may long for approval or affirmation. These are all great hindrances to going after the Lord God when you're young. I wonder what my friends will think. I wonder if they'll laugh at me if. These are all great hindrances to pursuing the Lord. It's the same thing that Jeremiah felt. Look at Say not, I am a child. It's what God says to you. It's what God says to me. It's what God says to all. Say not. Don't use these as your excuses for not doing what I have called you to do because I am God. Look here, adults. We do the same thing. We don't, we don't say, well, well, I'm a youth, so that means I can't do it. It just means, well, all, all, all my good, valuable times is in the past. All my energy is already spent. All, all, I, I can't do it because I have a job, and I would serve Jesus, but I, somebody's got to pay the bills. No, no, no. Say not. Don't use those excuses for not going strong after the Lord. It's the same thing for you, same thing for me. Number two, last one. Notice the preparation of Jeremiah. It's almost, it's almost written in, um, in, in, a, in, in, just in such an ordinary format that you read right over the top of it. Look at verse number one. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, the priest of Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. These are the words, these are the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, the priest of Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin. Something very distinct about the way the book of Jeremiah opens up. It opens up with a reference to Hilkiah, Anathoth, the land of Benjamin. Hilkiah was the name of the man who found the book of the law during the time of Josiah's kingship. 2 Kings chapter 22, verse number 4, verse number 18 through verse number 14, or verse number 8 through verse number 14. And whether this Hilkiah is the same as that Hilkiah, chances are good that it could be. But whether it is or whether it isn't doesn't change the fact that Jeremiah was born into a priestly family. You don't know anything about Jeremiah's mother except the fact that Jeremiah, Jeremiah's mother certainly had this huge influence on his life in the early formative years, in his growing up. The phrase in Anathoth speaks of his home, or specifically his hometown, the land of Benjamin, where all the priests lived. So he had a fond memory of his younger years. He had a fond memory of the influences that were on his life at a young age. There's no greater influence on the life of a boy or a girl than their mom. 
There's no greater influence on the life of a young man or a young woman than his family. So you see here, Jeremiah, his character, his disposition, the priestly office of his father, the godly nature of his mother, this good, strong influence that he has in his home. So that he was minded to be sensitive to these same influences for his own life, especially in his early years. So a word then to moms and dads and grandparents in the room. And some of you are single. Some of you are empty nesters, or at least you think you are. Here's my word to you. You aren't done yet. I'm talking to some of you who are carrying after grandbabies. I'm, I'm talking to some of you who you have no husband, wife, spouse, or even potential husband, wife, or spouse, okay? You have a role in this congregation just the same. You have a role in this church family just the same. Does it negate you from your assignment to be preparing those who come behind us? So, so here's a word to how we help prepare our children for whatever work God is calling them to do through two, through two things. Through number one, through consistent discipline. Through consistent discipline. Discipline gets a bad word in rap in our world. Discipline is generally thought of as just putting your kid in time out or giving them a swat on the rear end. But discipline is certainly that, but discipline isn't only that. Discipline is using all the tools at your available resources to shape and mold and fashion your son, your daughter, those grandbabies, those school kids in that classroom, that Sunday school group, those boys and girls in the nursery, using all of them, all of those tools and resources to mold and shape those boys and girls to be all that God desires them to be. And that discipline must be consistent. Everyone knows this, and everyone fails at this. Anyone in the room 100% consistent all the time? Can I see? Any, any takers on that one? Okay, I didn't think so. So what this means is we all know we should be consistent. We all fail at being consistent in our lives. But it does not mean that we should not aim at consistency. All consistency really is, especially godly consistency, all godly consistency really is, is helping your children to understand where they are, what they're doing, what you're doing, and why you're doing it. Godly consistency is simply saying this is what is acceptable and this is what is not acceptable. This is what is rewarded and this is what is punished. So how do we practice then consistent godly discipline? Through several ways, first of which is fairness. Biblical godly discipline should always be fair. Punishment should fit the crime. Have you ever been reading through like Leviticus, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, and you're reading like, why is God going through so much detail on what to do if somebody's ox gets out into the street and harms somebody's wagon? Anybody, you ever read that? You're like, 
Why is that there? Why do we need to know that? God is, God is showing you something about consistent godly discipline, about fairness in the way that we administer discipline in our homes and with our children. If you're overbearing in your discipline, if you, if you don't let grace sink into the heart of your child or even into your heart, then you take every disobedient act as a personal attack on yourself. If you aren't slowing down, you aren't measuring, and if you aren't graceful and patient, then every time your child acts out, it's them acting out at you and not them just being a child. It might be that your five-year-old is just acting like a five-year-old because that's what five-year-olds do. How many of you understand that? It might not be that they are a, the rebellious seed of Absalom and they are going the way of their father who is the devil, right? It might not be that. But sometimes what happens is this is where we get in our, in our disciplines. We just, oh, we, we can't take it anymore. And instead of being fair and just, instead of the punishment fitting the crime, we, we flip and we become reactionary. We do what Paul warned us not to do. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. A godly man does not negatively motivate his children. A godly man does not provoke push his children into anger. A godly man does not poke and jab and exhaust his son or daughter's spirit. A godly man is full of grace and mercy and patience and fun and laughter and understanding. And at the end of the day, that godly man is trying to balance it all so that he nurtures and raises and, and, and teaches and instructs his his children in a way that does not exasperate them, doesn't wear them out, but it sees to it that they flourish, that they love the Lord their God, and they love their mom, and they love their brethren, and they love their church, and they love their friends, and they grow up into that. How do we do that? We do that through fairness. Godly discipline number two is child-specific. If the strategy for disciplining Gabriel and Ethan is by taking away their library time, it's not going to work. How many of you know what I mean? If Gabriel and Ethan misbehave and you walk up to them and go, that's it, boys. You're not going to the library later today. They're going to go, oh, man, mom, we're bummed about that. Discipline should be child-specific, which simply is a way of saying your child is an your child is an individual, and you cannot treat every individual the same way. Well, my parents they did this when I misbehaved, and my parents did that when I misbehaved, so that's what I do to them when they misbehave. Well, they aren't you. And if they are you, they're the only they're only the bad side of you. They're not the good side of you, right? You cannot engage every child the same way. I remember when my kids were really little, I could look at my boys and I could give them just this evil death stare, like you're in trouble. And they just look back at me, just ornery, just obnoxious, stubborn, just like their mother, just right back at me, just like that. And I could, I could look at Elena and I could give her my mean face. I go, Elena, you're going to be in trouble. And she would just break and cry. They're not the same. Very, very different. 
very, very sensitive, each of them individually made in God's individual image. And part of your job as a parent in exercising godly discipline in their life is to learn them, to know them, to understand them, to, to get underneath, to figure out the heart, what makes them tick, and then lead them in that way. This is why we don't like to discipline that way, by the way. Because when you discipline one child this way and you discipline the other child this way, what happens? Well, why does he get that? Well, why did I have to do this? Well, why did, well, because she is not you and you are not she. That's why. Godly discipline is number three, administered in love. Godly discipline is ministered in love, never, look here, never in anger. Look here, never in anger. Nothing good came out of getting angry. You never, got, you never got angry at your kids, and when you got angry at them and you exploded, you walked into the other room and go, I feel really good about that. I feel good about how that played out. No, you walked into the other room and you went, mm, why did I do that again? Godly discipline is always administered in love, never administered in anger. And one of the reasons why we can't administer in love and we do administer in anger is because we are reactionary beings. You know what I mean by that? You're driving home, long day at work, and you think, when I get home, dinner's going to be made. I'm going to sit on the couch, watch ESPN seven times in a row. Beautiful music's going to be playing. My children are going to greet me at the door. Hello, Father. Welcome home. They're going to be laying roses out in front of me. All the rooms are going to be cleaned. They're going to go out and wash my car. And you get home, and there's no music. There's only screaming. And, and, and there's, there's no roses on the floor in front of you. It's just Legos for just miles. And there's no dinner on the table where there's something burning in the oven. And what you thought your night was going to be like, it doesn't go anything like that. And now you're standing there and you walk in the living room and you're going, what's going on? And your wife is lecturing your older kid for eating goldfish again. And you're like, it's just goldfish, it doesn't matter. But you don't know, he's eaten half the box already. And then your little kid comes in with a tricycle, he goes right over the top of your toe. And he just rips your toenail off. And now your toenail is, ah, and the music and the smell. And now you're, I wanted ESPN and the football game. And none of it is happening the way. And Optimus Prime Legos are all over the living room. And guess what happens? Boom, we explode in anger. And now we're disciplining in anger, and we aren't disciplining in love. Can I get a witness on that point right there? Oh, it's just me. You're going to leave me out to dry. I'm the only one that happens to. Okay, I got you. I see how you're going to play this tonight. I got you. Godly discipline is administered in love. Number four, godly discipline. Listen, the goal of godly discipline, look here. This is so important. The goal of godly discipline is godliness. Behavior in the supermarket is a cheap substitute for godliness. I mean, I, I want my kid to behave in public too, but that's not all I want my kid to do. That's not all I'm after. I'm not after public behavior. I'm after their heart. I want their heart. Do I want public behavior? Yes, but that's a cheap substitute for godly discipline, which means our discipline should not be lazy. 
you get home, you're gonna, you're gonna get it. And moms are great at this. They find secret ways to inflict pain in public. My mom was a pincher. And she could just get her fingers right here behind my arm, right in the little flabby part of my arm, and she could just pinch me, and it just felt like a thousand daggers running right through my arm. And she'd just go, when you get home, you're getting it when you get to, ah, just got shot, ah. She goes, you do it again, I'll, I'll, you stop screaming, I'll pinch you again. You don't pinch. How many, how many of you, your moms have those secret attacks like that? You, okay. Yeah, if you're sitting by your mom, you didn't raise your hand. She's going to get you right now. Raise it, I dare you. The goal, the goal is not good behavior in the store. The goal is not good behavior at the social function. The goal is not good behavior when, when you're at grandma or grandpa's. The goal is godliness. The goal is godliness. So we go after the heart. And you cannot, look, you cannot grow godliness in the heart of your child apart from a relationship with your child. You can't see to it that godliness is flourishing in them if you don't know them, if you aren't spending time with them, if you aren't listening to them, if you aren't being patient with them, if you aren't leading them. You can't grow godliness in them if you don't know them, if you don't have a relationship with them. And you can't grow godliness in them if that godliness does not exist in you. You can't stand in front of your children and say, be godly and love Jesus, and I'm doing my thing on the weekend, but you go to church with your mom. No, the godliness doesn't grow in them. They see that in you. They see that in me. They hear that in us. And when we say things like, well, don't get all angry at school. You should just learn how to be quiet. And then the football game comes on, and we're throwing shoes at the TV. And we're getting angry because the ref didn't make our call. And then we wonder why our kid throws shoes at the nursery worker when he won't get, when she won't give him a cookie. He learned it from you by watching the football game. Oh, you get quiet on me there because that got close to home? Okay, I got you, okay. Last one. A heart of gladness. How do we... We measure good godly discipline consistently, a heart of gladness. One of the greatest gifts you can ever give anyone in our day and age is a heart of gladness. Just being joyful. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I don't have to like everything I'm going through. I may not even agree with what you're saying, but the joy of the Lord is my strength. A smile goes a long way. Letting your children know. Look here. Letting your children know that you're pleased with them. Growing grass is so much more rewarding than pulling weeds. I got to get this out, and I got to get this out, and I got to get this out, and you misbehaved here, and you did this bad there, and you did this bad there. Growing grass is so much rewarding than pulling weeds. You, you see this sometimes in the, in the teacher's room. If you're bad today, you get your name on the board, and the little boy's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Billy. <laughs> Ooh, my name is on board. If you're bad again, you'll get it two times on the board. Billy! <laughs> and what, what's Billy going to do the rest of the day? My name's up there twice. I'm getting pinched when I get home. I might as well just go for it. No, no. You know what's, you know what's, you know what's far better than that? All right, if you're good today, 
man, you get the smiley face on the board. It's, it's so much more rewarding to lead toward godliness and, and joy and happiness. It's so, it brings so much more fruit to lead toward godliness, joy, and happiness than it does to lead toward grumpiness and bitterness and pulling weeds and pulling weeds. And I got to get all this bad stuff out so that way you can have a hope. Through, godly, through consistent godly discipline. Number two, last one. Ready? This is it. We're done. Through consistent godly devotion. How do we prepare? How do we prepare young Jeremiah to be ready for the moment that God calls him? Here it is. Ready? Through consistent godly discipline, through consistent godly devotion. And by that, here's what I mean build into your family structure routines and schedules that help to fight the false narrative that they hear every day from everyone in their world. Decide right now, decide right now that in light of all of the media consumption that our children are taking in, knowingly or unknowingly, intentionally or unintentionally, in light of all these, how many remember the stats from yesterday and from Sunday? How many remember those? In light of all this stuff that they're hearing throughout all their day, and we, we talked about a fraction, and we could have talked about so much more. Maybe we'll get there tomorrow. We could have talked about so much more. In light of all of this, my voice is going to be a voice for God and for good in their life. And I'm going to build into my family structure routines and habits and things. That going to church is not debatable for us. You have that conviction? Well, if mom and dad feel good, we go. Well, if we're in the right mood, we go. This is not consistent. This isn't consistent devotion. Building consistent devotions. Yeah, but, but, but we, we need some family time. There's no better family time than spending time with your family at church. I don't know anything that will help your family better than that. I don't know any vacation that you could take better than spending time together as a family in the house of the Lord. You're, you're quiet. It's Tuesday. I get it. You're quiet, but, it's, but that's a good point. By helping your children realize what's actually important in life, and what's actually important in life is nothing in this life. You, you want to know what really matters? You want to know what really counts? You, you want to know what really changes an eternal destiny? your relationship with God Almighty and your pursuit of him because that lasts for billions and billions and billions and billions of years. In this life, it lasts maybe 75 years. I get it, you're disappointed they got a B. But I was really glad they were singing loud and in the choir. Look here. You, you understand what I mean by that, parents? I'm all for pushing them. I want academic excellence. Bs, they aren't acceptable for, well, most of my children. And, and I, we push them towards sports and athletic and physical development. I want them, my boys are eating this, taking this whey protein now because they want to get big and buff. They've seen me long enough in their life. And they're like, Dad, we want to be just like you, right? 
Yeah, right. That's not it. And they're doing all they lifting weights and running, and they're doing all they can. Great, I want that physical development. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, but Jesus also increased in favor with God and man. And if all they ever do is get a big buff bob, but they have no idea how to talk to a senior adult, then I failed in my job as a parent. And if all they do is get straight A's, but they have no idea how to get on their knees and read a verse of the Bible and have a relationship with God, then I failed in my job as a parent. And if all they do is make money, but they just spend it on themselves, and they ignore missionaries and the needy and the poor, and they don't ever give to the church, then I failed at my job as a parent. Do you understand what we mean by that? What are we shooting after? What are we actually aiming for? We're not aiming for this life. I'm aiming for a billion years from now because I want my kids to stand in front of Jesus one day and go, Jesus, thank you so much for giving me Dave and Amanda as my parents because they led me in ways that moved me towards you. That's what I want for my kids. That's what I want for your kids. That's what I want for our church. That's what I want for you. Through consistent devotion, we can help prepare the hearts and minds of young Jeremiah's. Listen, listen, listen. i got to be done. But listen, here, here it is. Let them dream. I remember when Gabriel, maybe it was Ethan, he was little. He came home one day. He's like, Dad, I know what I want to be when I grow up. I go, cool, what? He says, I want to be a firefighter. Wow. Man, that would be awesome. Yeah, either that or a dinosaur. I'm not for sure which one. And I didn't go, what are you, idiot? Can't be a dinosaur. What are you, five? Yeah, he was. No, I said, oh, oh, I think you should definitely be a dinosaur. Really? Yeah, yeah. Which one? Oh, I don't know, but one with big teeth. Everyone's really strong. That's what you should be. Let's go show your mom what kind of dinosaur you'd be. Listen, the world will crush their dreams soon enough. You don't have to do it. Then let them dream. Let them have it. I mean, it's certainly a problem. Ethan still thinks he can be a dinosaur. I mean, maybe we should have told him at some point that that wasn't an option. He'll figure it out soon enough, I suppose. Good, godly, consistent devotion, good, godly, consistent discipline, helping to prepare the young Jeremiah's that God has entrusted to all of us as parents, grandparents, members of this church, single, married, uh, older, single, younger, single, doesn't matter. All of us have a responsibility to help these young Jeremiah's grow up and dream and go strong after God and good in their life. I need you to help me do that with my kids, and I want to help you do that with yours. And maybe all of us working together, maybe then we can give our kids a shot at making it in this cruel, dark, wicked, evil world. Maybe then.